dive right in. Do you got your computer? Or you just want me to rip off these little ones I was telling you about today that kind of caught me off guard. Yeah, go ahead. I don't know how many people here are into Twitter read anything that comes across the headlines there, but you know, the uh, founder of Cash App, a gentleman in his early forties, was stabbed to death last night in San Francisco. So I just started thinking, man, that's wild. Like, yep, we got all this banking business that's going on, not just in California now, but across the country, across the world. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's really unprecedented times as far as what's going on, even compared to the to the housing crisis, kind of makes it look like you know. Uh, child's play so it's really wild and then you got stuff like this where nobody knows yet what's really going on you know just kind of tells you what happened it's as far as he you know was uh unfortunately attacked <clears throat> passed away but who knows it's wild i would i would assume that story is going to develop a little bit here in the next uh couple days if not uh real soon i'll, I'll see what's on twitter i'm sure there'll be a lot mm-hmm. going on um, but other than that, that was that one. That's just a little mention to put on people's radars. And then the other one is, um, you know, there's always the hope that people that should be brought to justice will be brought to justice. Who knows what this is worth, but, uh, there's yep. a couple billionaires that are uh, being subpoenaed, um, to testify in the Epstein lawsuit and the JP Morgan case. Um, and I don't know if anybody's familiar with it. his name is Jamie Dimon. It sounds like diamond, but it's D-I-M-O-N, diamond. Yeah. Um, you know, and just like the culture, they have these articles coming out now in these quotes of like, at J.P. Morgan, they knew. They just they just joked about it. Hmm. They joked like, oh, yeah, he's a pedophile. Like, I don't understand. I do not understand what we tell, again, like how we tell kids how to live well, I mean, and how to recognize danger and this and that, you know. He was uh, arrested in 2007. And everyone knew that he was arrested. Tell me then. what. Tell me what he's arrested for. Uh, it was basically the charge was prostitution, right? And of uh, it was just prostitution. Kids but they didn't who can't be prostitutes. They didn't charge him for that. Adults. That was the crazy thing. It's it's wild. It was the, just the sweetheart deal that got yeah. covered up and was basically buried. Yeah. And his relationships with all of his influential scientific community and political community and and just influential community in general kind of took him back. You know, he's almost like Voldemort. Like they wouldn't talk about him. (laughs) MIT would take donations, but just not list him as the donor. Right. Uh, There's a lot of really weird stuff. So I just thought, you know, the old saying where there's smoke, there's fire. Yeah. We knew there was a a lot of smoke there, a lot of fire, if nothing else. Nothing really came of it. People are frustrated about it. His, you know, cohort is in in, uh, prison now or jail now. I don't know if she's still... I don't know if she got a life sentence. They're waiting on the list. Uh, that's the whole thing. Like, you know, hey, we know all this happened. Where's yeah. What's going on with it? So right. that's where it's at for now. At least, you know, the wheels are still turning on that. Um, but this first one, I was going to have you jump into if you wanted to do this. Or no, yeah. you wanted me to do this one because you want to do the uh, the stone, correct? Yeah, either way. Okay. This one just kind of like jumped out because it's always about if there's, you know, uh, radio signals coming from space, emitting out, you know, what's going on. We're always kind of listening to the skies. You have SETI. You have all these satellite dishes that are pointed upward trying to pick up the needle in the infinite haystack, right? Right. So a coherent radio signal has been detected from an alien planet prompting hope and search for life. And this comes from the um, Independent out of the U.K., a new finding suggests planet could have magnetic fields and therefore is more likely to be habitable. 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 <laughs> habitable. Uh, it's a good so, one. Um, 
on Earth, our magnetic field helps protect us from like the high energy particles and plasma that are blasted from the sun, right? So as such, any alien life is likely to depend on being protected by a similar field, right? Makes sense. Like we like to think that the model we have here should be reflected elsewhere, uh, elsewhere, and maybe that's just our own understanding. Maybe there can be life forms that live in other situations, but yeah. we're going to start with what we know wor works, right? Mm -hmm. And look for that first. Um, so until now, though, researchers have struggled to confirm whether distant rocky planets have magnetic fields of their own and therefore found it difficult to say how likely a planet might be able to support life. Yeah. So now the new candidate, YZ SETI B, a rocky planet that orbits a star about 12 light years away, has sent a repeating radio signal that comes from the star and seems to be affected by the planet. The radio waves, <laughs> yeah, the radio That's waves so the researchers wild. detected from the planet appear to be generated when the star interacts with its planet's magnetic field. Mm -hmm. Because the two of them are so close together, the new candidate is an ideal pair to test theories about whether those magnetic fields could be detectable at such a distance. So that's crazy. signs of a planet that's alive. If we right. didn't have an electromagnetic field, Earth would be what Mars is. The it would be a red planet. It would be right. completely void of anything. When Mars lost its electromagnetic field, its atmosphere disappears because all that solar wind it's and particles through, are killing everything. It's a force field. We're just getting radiation too. Yeah, you're getting. I mean, you know, right? You're getting all irradiated. the plants are going to die. Right. Rain stops stops flowing. Well, and you can't and keep the, the moisture in the just, atmosphere to keep repeating exactly. that cycle, too. Right. So You can't hold moisture in the atmosphere. It just wicks, all, wicks it all away. Well, like yeah. Like a wool sock. Yeah. Well, okay. Here you go. I've got a little... This is one of my favorite things I've ever had, and it's called like an ecosphere, and it's this little globe with basically like sea monkeys in it. Brian, oh, I Brian remember Trim. that. Yeah. I still have one living. Those are cool. I bought it in 2013. It's a little globe that looks like a paperweight. So yeah. anytime somebody picks it up, I have to be like, don't shake that. I have one shrimp living. And the only reason I think that I don't have four, I know for certain the only reason I don't have four is because I left it in the sun one day. It got too hot and it cooked three of them. So there's been one loner rocking it for like eight years by himself. And I check in on him. And that water doesn't go anywhere. But How it does that even, it does actually evaporate know? right inside of it in the glass because it's not all the way full. <laughs> it's got like a, a layer. Oh. So it does evaporate, but it hits the top and it then just keeps repeating back. These were developed cycle. by NASA. This was right. how they started looking at how do we recycle things in space and how, how does that look for an environment? What animal could even live in such? And so that's what it does. That thing generates enough moss for the uh, brine shrimp to eat. It's making the CO2. There's oxygen in there. There's everything happening within this little, it's a little world. It's like the, the neck chain on the cat yeah. in Men in Black. But um, one of the ways they said they could detect this, the, the magnetic field, would be um, to see the similar effect as the aurora borealis or the northern lights, right. which happens on Earth when high-energy particles from the sun interact with our planet's atmosphere, right? We get these greens and crazy colors that yeah, just dude, dance across cool. the sky. I want right? to see that in person. So here's a quote. We're actually seeing the aurora on the star. That's what this radio emission is, said Sebastian Pineda an astrophysicist at the University of Colorado and one of the researchers who saw the signal. Quote, there should also be an aurora on the planet if it has its own atmosphere. The search for potentially habitable, <laughs> habitable, habitable ah. or life-bearing worlds in other solar systems 
depends in part on being able to determine if rocky Earth-like exoplanets actually have magnetic fields, said Joe Pesci, former director for the National <laughs> Radio Astronomy Observatory. I believe him immediately. Right. This, re <laughs> this research shows not only that this particular rocky exoplanet likely has a magnetic field, but provides a promising method to find more. The findings are described in a new paper, Coherent, coherent Radio Bursts from Known M Dwarf Planet Host, YZ SETI, published in Nature Astronomy. That's that. So, yeah. as the that old one. saying goes. Yes. <laughs> a signal's a signal. A radio signal's yeah. a signal. Right. But this signal is, like, way different, right? Like, and it seems like they're getting more advanced in how they're trying to spot these places, right? It used to be like, okay, well, we know there's a, a star there or a, a something to heat it and give it enough, you know, to warm the planet and cool it. Yeah. And is it far enough away from the um, um, <laughs> the source? But now they're starting to look for, like, what do we also need? Well, you need to have that magnetic field. Yeah. Now they're starting to, like, they're refining their ability to look. That's 12 light years away. That's yeah. pretty close. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I it's know crazy. we still can't SETI's get there. has been but... looking for radio signals for a long time. I'm surprised they haven't come across this signal, uh, you know, and this I, is pretty interesting. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a lot of sky to look at up there. It sure is. That's a good point. Uh -huh. Is that all you have for that one? I like that. Habitable. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, old Tigger. Uh, this next one, uh, this one's from old buddy Ron. Ron sent this Ron father? our way. Ron Father. Ron Father. Um, thank you, sir. Um, and I'm struggling to pronounce this. You're, you're under the impression it's the Cockno Stone? Cockno. Yeah, Cockno like, stone. like I said, yeah. it's, it's an anagram of conch. Right. That's literally how you would spell conch. So it's the same... Right. Phonetic sound of the CH, so Cockno, I would say, is the Cockno stone. The Cockno stone yep. is a 5,000-year-old star map. Could be evidence of a lost advanced civilization. Uh, so awesome. in Glasgow, uh, archaeologists in Glasgow, Scotland, briefly excavated the and, and then reburied a 5,000-year-old slab of stone that contains incised, swirling ge geometric decorations. See a lot of these in the southwest. Right. Petroglyphs. Uh, the wow. Cockno stone, which... Measures 43 feet by 26 feet, or 13 by 8 meters. I was about to say, this just isn't a stone. No, no. And we have the... It's on the ground. Well, you'll see like the bedrock. full picture. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. That, I right. just, just saw it. That's amazing. Big, yes. Yeah. So... Wow. Also called the cup and ring marks. The stone and its decorations have been known to people in the area since at least 19th century. Decorations similar to this swirls, uh, to these swirls have been found at other prehistoric sites around the world. However, the example of the incised, of incised in the Kokono stone are considered to compromise one of the best examples of such art in Europe, according to a statement by the University of Glasgow, which led to a new study. The stone slab was fully unearthed in West uh, Dunbartonshire nice. by Reverend James Harvey in 1887. Preach. By 1965, the stone had been vandalized with the graffiti and damaged by the elements, so the team of archaeologists buried it beneath the dirt in order to protect the artwork. This summer's uh, two-week re-excavation allowed the archaeologists to use modern-day surveying and photography techniques to better record the artwork. That. Right. Wow. That's... I mean, that's a lot of work. Yeah. That really is cool. really, really cool. 
Mm-hmm. Now just imagine how much of how how many other places could be buried like that. Oh, dude, I'm gonna say a million. I mean, it, it's apparent. Well, you know what's interesting about the graffiti on these petroglyphs and questionable how to date them? Yeah, geologists will study the graffiti and then compare that to the. What do you mean graffiti? Uh, carving. So graffiti meaning if you and I were to go there and you write your wife's initials, J.R. Like carve it? And yeah, and you like write etch it. your name. And, right. And s- well, they can date that. Carve, you know, like in yeah. a bathroom wall. Sure. I've never People done that. People go out. You see it all the time in, in you do. New Mexico, Arizona. Do. At Chaco Canyon, there's graffiti all over those petroglyph walls where the campsite is. It's kind yeah. of it's very sad. Yeah. But it's good for geologists because they can tell how old the weathering is on the modern graffiti and then compare that to the ancient petroglyph by the weathering that's inside the the carving. Yeah. So the more recent graffiti isn't going to have as much weathering. Yeah. So they can kind of get a comparison of how old, okay, well, this graffiti was from 1995. Sure. And then the weathering on... It actually kind of helps them in their job. You can tell if it's ancient or not. I'm not not encouraging you to do damaging graffiti for the love of God. Do not do that. But it's been known to help date some of these places. Yeah. So there should well, I'm not boo go that to whoever did that, and they had to recover cover it up. I'm glad they're uncovering it again. Yeah. And putting you know structures around it to protect it. Whatever. Oh, I'm glad. Um, but the but uh, so there was uh, graffiti etched alongside the swirls, as well as the painted lines intentionally made by an archaeologist named Ludwig McClellan. McClellan Mann, who worked at the site in 1937. Mann painted lines on the coconut stone to help measure the prehistoric artwork and see if there was a link to an astronomical astronomical phenomena such as the eclipses. Sure. Mann was trying to prove that the symbols could predict eclipses and were making movements of the sun and moon in prehistory, said Kenny uh, Brophy, an archaeologist and senior lecturer at the University of Glasgow. In a video released by the university, he said that man's own data ended up disproving the archaeologist's theory. The meaning of the artwork is still unknown, said Brophy, adding that the vast amount of the data gathered this summer may in time allow archaeologists to better understand the artifact. He said that the graffiti is also of interest and will help archaeologists better understand what people who lived in the local area thought of the artwork during the 19th and 20th centuries and how they incorporated it into their lives. While archaeologists had to rebury the swirling prehistoric artwork in order to protect it, Brophy said he hopes that one day it'll be possible to create an area where the rock art can be permanently revealed for both tourists and people in the local area to see. That would be great. Funding will have to be obtained and, you know, protect the park, get to build a parking lot, uh, put some, you know, uh, money Railing into up. it. Yeah, exactly. Put a uh, plaque up explaining it. Right. Tell all the dummies right. out there, stay off of it. Don't yeah. take a selfie on it. Don't carve. Maybe install some like trained attack bears in the next hills to an ancient around swirl it. that could be an e- eclipse calendar. Yeah, kind of like Doctor Evil <laughs> sharks, but bears with laser beams attached to their heads. Speaking of sharks, we got a shark episode tonight. Oh, what a great! You know, little is that next? No, it's not next. Oh, how great would have been? Well, okay. Well, that's all I had for that one. If you want to do the next one. 
the page wouldn't load for me, so I think you're going oh, to take right. this one that's out, right. right? Yeah, I will. Um, this one, did did you say this came from Psychedelic Bodega? Uh, Daniel Daniel Boone National Forest. Oh, we've Justin been Lynn. through Daniel Boone we've National Forest. We've been through Daniel Boone National Forest. You want to do that little... Go ahead. Bub took us on quite a detour. Go ahead. Coming back from Illinois, visiting our buddy. and um, What happened? Well, I fell asleep and then... Before that? Well... Cracker Barrel. <laughs> too much Cracker Barrel. Too much Cracker Barrel knocked me out. Mikey got a little tired. And then I'm a great navigator because Bub <laughs> will not pay attention to anything. If he's driving, he's on autopilot. He's worried about tunes. And, and the average. And the average. <laughs> Where to go and what to do is not on his priority. What's, what's my time average, so speed average, if I gas fall asleep, average? Which is what happened. <laughs> <laughs> then I wake up an hour later going, why are we in a forest? No, what? You, this is not- you said, why are we passing Daniel Boone National Forest? I said, Bub, forest? why are we in Daniel Boone National Forest? And you're like, I don't know. I'm like, but we're not supposed time. to be in Kentucky. I was making great time. We should be in Indiana <laughs> going to. And I looked for 71 North or Cincinnati. 271 North, whatever it was. I missed it. I totally Clearly. missed it. But it was definitely a place where we thought at any moment a Bigfoot was just going to pop out because it got weird. We had to drive up through the... To get back to the freeway, the road is not like right there. To get back, you've got to go through Sasquatch's corner. You've got to go past... (laughs) If there would have been a UFO that just went... Up on a little hill. Right. There was almost like mist and smoke and fog. And I swear, I was like... no. I, I see one thing, and I'm I remember yelling the out, "There's a ghost! Go!" <laughs> <laughs> it's like down in the little holler, this little weird old cemetery, oh and I just God. went, "There's a ghost! Go!" <laughs> oh, dude! And it took us an every bit of another two and a half hours to get home. Extra. <laughs> that was one of the best trips. <laughs> we thought we were being risky, setting fireworks off. Yeah. And one of our friend's neighbors, literally the door opens up and like an M80 just comes out the front door Yeah, and just launches. We're like, okay, apparently people are cool with fireworks around here at any oh, time of the night. Oh, that was so funny. Uh, we're like, just exploded out of the house, yeah. blowing off. We're like, door. we're probably going to be in trouble. And people are just like chucking an M80 out the front Southern door. Illinois is interesting. Uh, God, it's funny. Uh, all right. All right. We can move so on. So this post apparently <laughs> doesn't load for Kyle or Mike on their computer. I... Don't know why mine does, but uh, anyways, it comes from the Jerusalem Post, and this says, archaeologists defined lost underwater civilization with magnetic fields. So it goes on to say, archaeologists at the University of Bradley are using data from the Earth's magnetic field to discover ancient European settlements buried beneath um, the North Sea. According to a report from the university, these scientists are specifically investigating Doggerland, a stretch of land that once connected mainland Europe with the eastern coast of Great Britain. National Geographic's website explains that approximately 12,000 years ago, what is now ocean was a series of sloping hills, marshland, wooded valleys, and swamps. The university already has a team dedicated to studying Doggerland. Their project is entitled Europe's Lost Frontiers. Both the Lost Frontiers data and National Geographic agree that humans once settled Doggerland based on evaluations of tools and other artifacts embedded in the seafloor. There is some difficulty in gathering data. Nat Geo's website points out that a lot of the seismic data used by researchers comes from oil companies drilling in the North Sea. Now, it is not oil companies but wind farms that archaeologists are competing with. According to the university report and Ph.D. student Ben Ermston, 
is on the case. He will be looking for anomalies in magnetic fields which could indicate the presence of ancient remains. This will allow him and his colleagues to unearth new data without taking a dive into the North Sea. Magnetometry, the research method Ermston will be using, has thus far been primarily used for terrestrial archaeologists. And this will be one of the few attempts to use it to examine an underwater landscape. Magnetic data, data like seismic data, is collected by those looking to extract energy sources from the seafloor in order to map out the landscape for construction. Offshore wind farming com companies, according to the university report, have also begun vying for Doggerland real estate. Hmm. That's interesting. The United Kingdom, along with dozens of other nations, took the United Nations pledge to reach net zero carbon emissions by the year 2050. Part of that initiative involves expanding offshore wind power, which, per the university report, will eventually cause parts of Doggerland to be entirely inaccessible to scientists. This is why the University of Bradford archaeologists are working with climate scientists and engineers to gather as much data as possible while they still can. So what are archaeologists looking for? Quote, small changes in the magnetic field can indicate changes in the landscape, uh, explained Ermston, such as peat forming areas and sediments or where erosion has occurred, for example, in river channels. Um, according to the university report, Doggerland was one of the most resource-rich and ecologically diverse regions between approximately 20,000 BCE to 4,000 BCE. It was buried at the bottom of the ocean by the global warming that marked the end of the last ice age. Artifacts discovered thus have far been, uh, have been encountered mostly by chance, the university report explained, which means that knowledge of Doggerland's ancient inhabitants remains uh, elusive. Um, they have a couple quotes. Um, as the area we are studying used to be above sea level, there's a small chance this analysis could even reveal evidence for hunter-gatherer activity. That would be the pinnacle. We might also discover the presence of middens, he continued, which are rubbish dumps that consist of animal bone, mollusks, mm -hmm. shells, and other biological material that can tell us a lot about how the people lived. So that's that one. Um, that's interesting. Why, uh, Heather's why? research, uh, she talks about... Um, shellfish piles yeah. on Aruba yeah. and fishbone piles. Rubbin? She had a, a Is that what it's called? post about Was it rubbin? some ancient Mitten. site in, in Aruba. Yeah, exactly. Um, but that's funny. Boom, middens. There you go. Middens. Like mittens, but middens. Yeah. You'll get you middens. Sound like a, a gangster. Middens. Um, why can't you just build your like wind farm somewhere else? You know, that's There's the problem. not that much land. Do you know that's the problem, though? On. No, that's not on land. It's or, in the water. Well, yes, yeah, sorry. They build all that stuff in the water. Right, right. Um, I guess I answered my own question. What the problem is, is go try to build anywhere. If you do a geological survey and then an archaeological survey and start finding, you're going to find. It's work stops. We're running out of places because we think that, you know, all this open land and then you start digging. You're Dude, like the water is the next underwater sunken civil. That's the next frontier of archaeology. That's so untapped, bro. All the underwater, underwater archaeology, they're just going after uh, shipwrecks and Spanish gold. Well, who was it? You know, they're not looking for cities who was it that and megalithic structures. The oil company the same way. In the fossils that they mm -hmm. find because they dig down oh, wait, so yeah. far. Yeah. So when the oil companies want to know if they've hit oil, they go to whatever that – I can't think, think Tom told us this, and I don't remember if it was in the show or not. He's talking about the oil companies will go there, and then they compare what they're digging up with their samples to known um, 
animals and organisms that died at the same time that oil is created, basically, this magic layer. And they can look at theirs and look at the ones in the museum and be like, yep, we got a match. Cool. We're there. We, right. we should be striking like any time right. now. Right. It's, it's just really wild. It's like, wait, what do the oil workers do? Right. That's how they figure it out? Um, this next one, the, yeah, the segue from Dr. Evil with sharks with freaking laser beams on their head. I'll tell you what, <laughs> in the defense of sharks, you might start to need a laser beam on your head. <laughs> and you want to know why? <laughs> the big bad orca's got a taste for the shark liver. Oh, dude, orcas are no joke. Well, and we I'm, were just we just watched um, the Secrets of the Whales documentary last night. Ooh, the new orca one, yeah, because they have like overall whales. The new one is just orcas, bro. They are mind blowing how smart they are. They're ridiculous. They have crazy dialects that yes. are different in New Zealand. Norway. Pod to pod. Pod to pod. That's a group. Their communication level. Like they were putting manta rays to sleep and by flipping them over and swimming with them flipped over. Once they go to sleep, they start like ripping the livers out. Yeah. That's what they do to these sharks. Yes. So so you've seen that on on the nature shows when a diver does that to a shark, right? It'll touch the nose. Yeah, yeah. And they lift them out of the water or they'll even flip it. I mean, it doesn't matter. It's because their nose has all that sensory. And it's it's if like if somebody could get into your brain and touch your brain the same way. Yeah. You remember the commercial where the guy's like the brain surgeon's doing work on the guy's brain. But what he's doing is making his patient like look up his flight. I don't on the computer, that. and so was one that of the a nurses. It's like an Expedia.com or something. Oh, okay. Commercial. One of the one of the nurses in the room's like, "Doctor, this is unethical." He's like, "My work hours are unethical," and he like <laughs> keeps going. But basically, that's what they're doing. They're touching these sensory organs on the nose of these sharks and of these rays and skates in that family of even the manta rays, right? Right. And um, yeah, you're basically putting them in a tonic state or a catatonic state to where they just go immobile and it's kind of like the fainting goats and all this stuff. You know, your body just does things that, Dude, you know. orcas will jack a great white. <sighs> they, with no, no, absolutely. The whole pod will take down great whites. Not even a whole, you don't even need a whole pod. It's just no. one against yeah, one yeah. is enough. It's how they just, one. they like pummel them in the stomach. There was a post over about and over that again. Once. There was a post about that once of there was a great white killed off the, the coast of Africa at one point, right? Where all these great whites hang out by these orcas. And they had these other sharks that were tagged. And this other great white, like, could yeah. smell the blood, yeah. picked up what was going on, and just bolted, like, gone, hundreds of miles in depth, gone. Like, it was just gone. So, yeah, they're very smart. When we were in Alaska, we took a trip. On a, a like a tour and went out and saw like a small killer whale pod, like yeah, three orcas. That's crazy. And what they said was, like you said, they have a different dialect from region to region based on the pod. Um, they are like little clans or families or, or tribes. Yeah. Um, they all eat differently based on that. So certain killer whale families will eat certain fish or this or that, and they develop hunting techniques oh, yeah, for yeah, them. Yeah. They pass those down to their young over time. And they all eat different things depending on where the... They the can do at. they can do these submarine submerged movers maneuvers where they they will force themselves underwater like a beach volleyball, yep. and take all that buoyancy right, and they'll hit a certain point and they'll start riding that curvature and buoyancy up yep. to launch themselves out of the water. Like you think a shark coming out of water is oh, scary dude, to like so much power. seven eight feet ten feet. These orcas can get fifteen twenty feet out of the water. It's crazy. They're incredible. They're incredible. Right. <laughs> so orca apparently translates to demon from hell. There you go. That's Phineas orca. That's the rough. The rough definition. I mean, because they're just badass and they're super duper smart and there's nothing... they have teamwork 
and family and social groups. There's that nothing just that can really take them on one on one. No, other they're than, the king of the sea. Other, let's theorize here. Other than the giant squid and octopus. Oh well, yeah. Now, well, if there's megalodons, no, no, those, we know there's giant squid orcas. and stuff down there with yeah. like twenty, thirty. I think there's tentacles. megalodons. Sure. Still, what I'm saying the is, there was a an aquarium where all these sharks and these big like predatory fish were dying overnight. Yeah. And this aquarium's like, what the hell is going on? Like, <laughs> oh, I, yeah, who's eating these things, you know? This octopus, octopus was coming out there. at night. No, just out at night. And like when the sharks are just trolling around, just snatch them up and grab them and just, you know, uh, uh, sneak attack them and just hold them still and just eat them. That's what you want to talk about the scariest as far as intellect. Between orcas and dolphins and that, you know, whole family of like porpoises and yeah. the the sonar communication, like the cephalopods mm-hmm. and the octopus and yeah. the, the cuttlefish and squids and cuttlefish are weird. Oh my god. All the the lights I saw an bioluminescent stuff they do. I saw an octopus in Belize. Chromatophores. Off of the the little dock on the place we stayed at this little five acre island off the coast. And this octopus changing colors as I was shining my headlamp light through the water at night to see it. It's just pulsing like greens and blues. And it's yeah. like, is that a disco? What is <laughs> happening? How are you doing that? They're such incredible creatures. But yeah. apparently these two orcas slaughtered 19 sharks in a single day in South Africa, eating their livers and leaving them to rot. So, um, <laughs> and, the and, good stuff. and they also note they embarked on yet another killing spree. So it's not the first time. Yep. Um, and this happened near Pearly Beach, a village located along the southernmost tip of South Africa. The baffling carnage caught the attention of Allison Koch, a marine biologist with, that might be Coke, I don't know, a marine biologist with South African National Parks who tweeted about the infamous duo of male orcas, Orcanus orca, known as Port and Starboard, and the feeding frenzy that ensued on February 23rd. They're like Dale and Brennan out there at Shark Week, and they're just like <laughs> getting after it. However, this isn't the first time that the orca duo has wreaked havoc in this area. In 2017, the pair slaughtered at least eight great whites. And in all but one case, they dined solely on the shark's livers, leaving the rest of their bodies to rot. So what is it about shark livers that seemingly whet the appetite of these bloodthirsty orcas? Minerals. Well, in her tweet, she said they likely initially learned by experience when first uh, predating a new species. Meaning that once the orcas were aware of the liver location on a shark, they will remember it forever and become more efficient hunters. <laughs> that's scary. It's like a bear getting a taste for blood of human blood, you know, or something like. I don't know if that's a true thing. <laughs> Maybe it's from John Fact Candy check. and John Candy and the Great Outdoors. Oh God, is that, that a great movie? The <laughs> Great Outdoors. That, I throws that liquor in the fire. It might be a bear. <laughs> Dan Aykroyd. God, it's so good. So it also helps that shark livers are highly nutritious and have large quantities of fats and vitamins. Yeah. She told Life Science in an email, orcas may have learned that consuming shark livers provides high energy and nutrients. Shark livers are large and buoyant, and they float to the surface of the water when a shark is killed. This makes them easy for orcas to spot and access compared to other organs that may sink to the bottom or be harder to locate. Similar to tag team wrestling, orcas often hunt in groups or pairs so they can corner sharks. This is important because this gives them an advantage over their prey. One orca may distract the shark while another goes around for the kill. So kind of like... The whole mm-hmm. raptors in Jurassic Park, right? Like yep. you think attacks coming from this way and they smack you from the side. You ever seen the spiral bubbles they do? Oh, yeah. They blow bubbles in a perfect Fibonacci sequence. So do dolphins. 
It's wild. Dolphins dude. will blow but rings through rings. The bubbles at the top, this the circles they create, it's like, and then it goes smaller, bigger, bigger, bigger. And these spiral, it's like amazing. Dolphins it's perfect do that sacred stuff geometry. Too. Um uh, I can't beluga whales do it. A yeah. lot of the porpoise families and, and yeah. definitely with That's that with that so big cool. brain and that sinus cavity up front to emit those sonar sounds like we know that whales communication we know whales can communicate hundreds if not thousands of miles across the ocean oh yeah like they can send out these low tones that just rumble through the water and then hits that big brain of the next one and then that uh uh sinus cavity and it just you know we don't know about oh you want to know something really crazy free divers that go out with like i think it's blue whales or sperm whales whichever ones that sit upright in the water when they sleep like that like a buoy Mm -hmm. If they go free diving with them, which, you know, no apparatus, no snorkel or anything like this, you're just in the water with them. They'll, 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 you know, be okay with it. You can't go out there with a tank on. They don't like that, whatever it is. But these free divers go out with them. And they said, these whales know to like tone down their communication because they said, if these whales actually communicated at like basically a shouting level, yeah, the vibrations of it through the water would be enough to heat you up that it could kill you. It would make your body start heating up so much because there'd be so much energy emitting through the water. It's wild. That's nuts. Like it could literally <laughs> sound, dude. We've sound has been a theme. It's wild. It's wild. Um, you want to move on? Yeah, absolutely. We got one more. We can run yeah. through it pretty quick. We Dude got. Up. We're at ten after eight right now. Go for it. Um, and again, but, we but are big takeaway: sharks might need laser beams for their heads. Exactly, you got to take you out know, them orcas. They don't have a chance. Jaws, bro. Jaws gave them a bad rap. Everybody was yeah. scared of them, and then orcas just hit well, out and went. You know what? Free Willy and Jaws, bit different type of story between the two. But in the wild, I mean, orcas are pretty friendly I to never human beings. Thought People of the juxtaposition of Free Willy and Jaws, right? Wow. <laughs> Just Jeez. blew your mind with such a moronic thought. It's not moronic. It's real. <laughs> uh, and, I mean, who's the one that's actually terrifying? Free Willy. The great with the, 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 uh, yeah, the orca. For 100%. <laughs> you okay. know? Wow. All right. This article is from The Debrief. Uh, researchers at Tel Aviv University say that they have successfully uh, recorded and analyzed ultrasonic airborne sounds produced by plants under stress which appear to reveal a variety of plant communication capable of conveying its type and condition according to findings detailed in a new paper. These researchers report that clicking noises produced by plants are emitting are emitted at a volume similar to human speech. I just remembered I didn't read the headline. A plant communication <laughs> first. <laughs> Scientists detect sound uh, sounds likened to ult- ultrasonic distress signals from plants. There you go. There we go. Sorry, got a little ahead of myself. Go ahead. Uh, certain animals may be able to perceive these sounds as well as, uh, as well, which the researchers say can be identified with specific varieties of stress the plants may undergo. As far back as 1811, botanist James Tupper presented the idea that plants possessed at least some degree of sensation in an essay on the probability of sensation in vegetables. <laughs> It just sounds weird. Uh, similar ideas would <laughs> surface again in the works of uh, Gustav Fetch- Fetchner and almost a century after Tupper's work in an experiment of the Jagadish Bose would attempt to measure electro- electrical responses produced by plants. Around the same time, Thomas G. Gentry, Intelligence in Plants and Animals, 
argued that some animals, as well as a few plants, appeared to display intelligence and thus have souls. By the mid-1960s, some of the earliest claims involving rudimentary forms of communication employed by plants surfaced with the work of Cleve Baxter, a CIA interrogation specialist who claimed that he was able to detect stress produced by plants in the form of, I see your look, changes in the electrical resistance when they... uh, when they were damaged. Incredibly, Baxter even claimed to observe these subtle changes when plants were merely threatened with harm, a phenomenon he labeled primary perception. Wow. Uh, Baxter's idea, like those before him, were largely discounted by the scientific community as fringe concepts, likened to claims of extrasensory perception and other purported paranormal phenomena. However, scientists do recognize a range of sensory capabilities exhibited by plants, which include the ability to sense light, contact with other organisms, vibration, and influence of gravity, and even odors. Remember when Adam was talking about, like, they're bringing in the environment? They know when a storm is coming in. breathing in, not just breathing, but absorbing the The environment, the energy. I mean, that makes total sense. Well, being in Thailand and walking around in the jungles... Uh, was that? Yeah, in Thailand, they have the little plants that when you walk by, it looks like a fern. If you touch it, it'll close up all of its leaves. Yeah, like yeah. very reactionary to like you know touch and sensitivity. Um, but I mean, we know with you know fungus and mycelium networks that communication and that living organism. But it just makes me think like, you know, if they do actually come out and find that plants have feelings and communicate just like, not just like us, but at whatever level in their own way. Yeah, there's it, it's through What's, chemistry. That's why they're so good at making medicine. It's all about sending signals. They create chemicals. Right. Those chemicals get passed around throughout the plant. That's why they're. That's a how they thing communicate eat, with right? other things and animals. Yeah. Is through this chemistry. And but what I'm saying is, these, no other the like we as animals are we we don't do the same thing. We give nutrients maybe, but I don't think we give chemicals to other things that eat us. Do we? I mean, like us eating plants and getting medicine, minerals from them. and there vitamins. are animals that we eat or things like that, that we get medicine from an animal, like eating the animal, like yeah, from a for, cheeseburger, well, yeah, from a fish or yeah. <laughs> you're not getting, you know, you're not, well, maybe you are, I don't know. Yeah. Fish oil itself is, you know, very good for certain things. Did you miss the comment? Stoner's dad I said he worked with Shamu, yeah, the I killer did. whale in college. That's incredible. You know, that's what actually got me wanting to go in marine biology when I did. I yeah, like, going to SeaWorld. I was going to go work at SeaWorld. Yeah, SeaWorlds are kind of under route. a lot of pressure right now. Never ended up doing it. Good thing. Pretty glad I didn't, but, yeah. you know. I went to SeaWorld when I was a kid. It was amazing. You know, my parents but brought me when I was a kid. Now that I'm older, it's like they're in really, really small. It's pools a, of water, but I've always said if I and no offense that documentary, I, I would I would not be a good caged up animal. Yeah. I would not be a very well behaved circus elephant or bear mm-hmm. or lion or whale. I would be a tough one. Yeah, like, <laughs> like Blackfish was the documentary that kind of was like, oh, yeah. well. did you see Necro's post about? Uh, oh, he, it's a, it's up there a ways. He had something about an edit he had of some. We'll have to see it in the playback. You'll like it. I can't can't think of it. Um, anyhow, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's really about it for that one. I think we're good, right? For the plants and communications? Yeah. Okay. I think that was the last, uh, the last article. You got anything else you want to add before? Because uh, I know we're, uh, we're running a tight schedule tonight. We got a yep. lot going on. 
Yep. And uh, you guys are going to see us. Well, if you head over and check us out on it. Hang but, out with uh, DA, talk some cryptids. Yeah. Robbie uh, and the cryptid huntress had a, uh, went to the George Bigfoot conference and then went out on a hunt together. Right. And I guess there's some things that happened oh, on really? this, on their, on their Sasquatch hunt. Very cool. And some stuff went down. So I don't know a lot about that. I think Robbie's going to be getting into that. Heck yeah. Uh, I did see Tombstone is in here as I did well. Too. What's yeah. happening Tombstone? We'll see you later for sure. Uh, Goose Girl, Necro, Floods, Born Not to Run, Justin Lamb, Stoner's Dad, Disbro, anybody hanging out with us tonight. Uh, Appreciate Thank you, guys you so and much. Um, you know, we uh, have, like I said, recently met some goals and... It's been Wheels a fun turning. time to yeah. uh, kind of reach some some things we've been For working sure. towards, but sure. these guys are, are the best. Yeah, and anybody listening, thank you. Um, and you guys can find us at the Strange Road on all p- platforms. Come check uh, us out, and uh, anybody rate us if you like it. Share this video. Yeah, um, like and and subscribe. Keep throwing links our way. Keep uh keep that chat going. Like keep we said, you know, in the last couple episodes, uh, we are working on trying to get that merch going. We you know we want to be able to uh, like Mike's rocking the cryptids of the corn T-shirt, yep. which is great. The they've got some from. great merch. Yeah, they've got some great stuff, the and we want to be able from. to do the same. Not only so we can wear some you know strange road swag. I'd like to have it on, but uh, also to get it out to you guys. Um, so just keep your eyes peeled. We're trying to get that set up and it's keep close. that rolling. Yep. But uh, other than that, I'm good. Yeah, I think we're going to sign round. off. Uh, as always, thank you, Stoner, hitting all the magical buttons behind the, the wizard. Scene, the Stoner loner, but not really. Disbro's here in spirit. Disbro's here. And in the chat. I can imagine Disbro la- back there right now laughing. Yeah. Well, we talked about the average, so <laughs> he enjoyed it. I'm sure average. he enjoyed that. He liked the average. The average is good. Anyways, guys, thank you again. We are signing out. This was another episode Later. of The Strange Happenings. Thank you. Awesome one. All right. We'll be back with DA here in a little bit. See ya. Peace.